That's right, it's the Foghorn, and you know what that means. <laughs> it is time for the Cavaships podcast, where we try and cut through the fog and the murk and shine a bit of light on naval and maritime issues of the day. I'm Chris Cavus. And I'm Chris Cervello. Coming up, while the world watches and waits to see if Vladimir Putin's Russia takes military action against Ukraine, a major conference of USC service leaders took place last week out in San Diego. Both of us were there, and we'll talk about what we saw and heard during the three-day West 2022 gathering. But first, a look at naval news around the world. As the threat of war against Ukraine continued, the pace of military operations, live fire exercises, and close order surveillance operations and incidents over the previous week remained very high, both among Russian naval air and military units and among NATO and allied militaries keeping tabs on the Russians. Russian state-supported media was rife with images and stories of the maneuvers, and worldwide media repeated much of those stories and videos. A large spate of live fire demonstrations on February 19th, dubbed Strategic Deterrence Force Drills, showcased a variety of high-end Russian weapon systems from nuclear-capable intercontinental ballistic missiles, to hypersonic weapons, to cruise missiles, and many other weapons fired from warships, aircraft, and land batteries. Meanwhile, the disposition of the three Slava-class missile cruisers, ships designed specifically in the 1970s and 1980s to attack and destroy American aircraft carriers, remained about the same, with the Northern Fleet's Marshal Ustinov reported to be west-southwest of Crete, the Varyag in the Eastern Mediterranean, and the Moskva in the Black Sea. The ships are positioned to potentially triangulate any NATO aircraft carrier moving within strike fighter range of Ukraine's Baltic coast. The American carrier USS Harry S. Truman, France's Charles de Gaulle, and Italy's Cavour all have been operating together in the central Mediterranean Sea. Away from the crisis with Ukraine, the Russian TASS news agency reported on February 17th that the reactivation of the nuclear-powered missile cruiser Admiral Nakimov is moving ahead, with deliveries still, still scheduled for late this year. One of the four 25,000-ton battle cruisers of the Kirov class, the Nakimov, commissioned in 1988 as Kalinin, but renamed after the fall of the Soviet Union, has been out of service since the 1990s. Two of the four ships have been decommissioned and scrapped, while the last, Pyotr Veliki, is the Russian Navy's most powerful service warship. But when completed, Admiral Nakimov will carry significantly more weapons than the Pyotr Veliki, able to launch caliber NK or Onyx cruise missiles and fire Zircon hypersonic weapons. Over in the Pacific, a Chinese warship activated a laser against an Australian P-8A Poseidon surveillance aircraft on February 17th, the Australian Defense Ministry said on February 19th. The Type 52D destroyer Hefe and Type 71 amphibious ship Jinganchang were in the Arafura Sea off Australia's northern coast when the incident occurred, the Australian MOD said, adding that the two ships were part of a larger four-ship formation that had passed through Indonesian waters and traveled through the Timor Sea north of Australia to the Coral Sea. Australian MOD condemned the incident, said the Chinese Navy's actions were not in keeping with the standards we expect of professional militaries. In the U.S., the aircraft carrier USS Carl Vincent returned to San Diego on February 14th to wrap up an eight-month deployment to the Western Pacific, a period where the ship was underway for 262 days, 
Carrier Air Wing 2 was embarked aboard Vincent, representing an early version of the U.S. Navy's Air Wing of the Future, with the first ever carrier deployments for the F-35C Joint Strike Fighter and the CMV-22B Osprey in the Carrier Onboard Delivery, or COD, role. With the completion of the Osprey cruise, the Navy announced Friday, February 17th, the tilt rotor aircraft reached initial operating capability, or IOC, having achieved, quote, operational success during the cruise. The Vincent deployment was marred by five Class Alpha aviation mishaps, the most spectacular being the ram strike crash on January 24th of an F-35C from the Strike Fighter Squadron 147 that injured seven sailors while operating in the Philippine Sea. The wreck of the F-35, sources told us, is expected to be recovered within a few weeks. In a related item, the Navy announced February 17th that a junior officer and four senior enlisted sailors face Article 92 charges for their role in the unauthorized release of shipboard video of the F-35 Charlie crash. The videos were from the ship's Platte, or pilot's landing aid television, and dramatically depicted the fiery scene as the aircraft struck the aft end of the flight deck burst into flames, and skidded across the entire landing area before going over the side into the ocean. While the five sailors face charges for posting the government-owned video on social media, the Navy appears to not be pursuing charges against individuals aboard the ship who posted a cell phone video and a photo of the aircraft floating in the water, reasoning that those were from personal devices. And that's just a quick look at some of the many worldwide naval developments taking place this week. All right. Well, let's move to the discussion portion of the podcast. Uh, as we mentioned in the intro, West 2022, the largest naval gathering in the United States so far this year, took place in San Diego. Uh, both Chris and I were there. It was great to see many of our listeners and friends uh, as we spent time uh, either sitting in panels or um, spending really the majority of our time walking around and, and seeing people on the floor of the show and listening to uh, folks from industry kind of peddle their wares and talk about the latest technology. Chris, this was really the first trip um, outside the DC area for you in uh, right. a number of years. Um, what was your take on the overall um, event? And, uh, you, you know, what, what did you think? Well, I fully admit that, that this, you're right, this was my first trip. You've been traveling around a lot during the pandemic, it's my last trip. And um, my last trip was actually exactly two years ago to San Diego. So it was really good to be out and about again, seeing folks is good to be in Southern California, good to see the Navy in, in, uh, in San Diego. And that was a, certainly a plus up for me. Um, it, it is a good show, it's a great show. Um, a lot of leaders were there, a lot of folks that uh, you wanna see a lot of the, the, this is the Pacific Fleet's chance to showcase a lot of what they have out there. Obviously the Commander Pacific Fleet, Admiral Barrow was there. Um, there. There is uh, the entire affair culminates with a tri-service luncheon where we have uh, the leaders of the Navy, the Marine Corps and the Coast Guard um, address what's going on and, and their issues. That was good. Um, you know, the public speaking side of this, I thought was, was, was hit or miss um, as, as we um, sadly are used to hearing, there were there were people, including flag officers and retired flag officers, who completely wasted people's time by talking about nothing, um, talking about stuff that was available on any any fact file that uh, you could click on, and uh, asking people what kind of books they read lately and things like that. That's not that's not what people come to these conferences to hear. Um, so once again, that's 
that's sort of disappointing that uh, people don't think uh, people, that everybody notices when they do that. Um, on the other hand, there was there were some, I think th things that were that were pretty good. There was a good pretty good panel on uh, Navy acquisition. Um, wasn't totally um, a waste of time. Uh, I thought Admiral Paparo was uh, gave a pretty good talk. Um, I always get something out of um, when you see the three service chiefs together on the same platform. Um, that's always informative, uh, and I don't think I don't think we missed on this one. The big news, if there was, there's, you know, there's rarely any actual news that comes out of these things. It's not that's not really what they're there for. People complain there's no there's not news here. No, that's not the point. But um, you do want to hopefully gain some insight into into developments. Um, it's interesting because the the threat of a war, a major war somewhere in the world, is looming over everything these days. And nobody nobody as we record this podcast, um, we don't know what's going to happen even in the next few hours. Um, so there is that. That's the the European theater. This conference, by by virtue of being in San Diego, is focused on the Pacific. But um, I, I did gain some insight, and I thought you know the most significant comment really uh, was the CNO, so Admiral Gilday, in in, in his talk, um, kind of lulled in, dropped in subtly, you know, talked about the size of the fleet, which, as we all know, is uh, something we're very concerned about, and the the forecast for the upcoming budget, the 2023 budget, all we hear is, quote, it's going to be a bloodbath. The Navy's going to divest to invest, get rid of ships. Uh, we're going to shrink long before we ever grow. And um, the CNO didn't put a lot of meat around the issue and didn't put a lot of context in it, but he uh, suddenly dropped in that he reiterated, we need a fort, naval force of over 500 ships, he said. And he ran off the, the types of ships, 12 aircraft carriers, 70 attack subs, 12 ballistic missile submarines, 60 destroyers, 50 frigates, nine big deck amphibious ships, 19 to 20 LPD types, 30 smaller amphibious ships, 100 support ships, 150 unmanned vessels. Um, those numbers are not necessarily in, in themselves new in that people have been asking for that forecasting that as something we need the u.s navy needs but this administration has not put those numbers out um in the face of what's going on right now it was interesting that he dropped that in there how did how did that hit you i kind of rolled my eyes chris I'll, I'll be honest i mean i know that there were a lot of people that um greeted the um greeted the announcement with a lot of excitement um, that they thought it was about time um, and that they thought that, um, you know, this would be a start of what would be more of a um, public uh, messaging campaign uh, on the type of Navy that we need uh, that would, you know, include the upcoming budget discussions and um, sea airspace, which is going to happen in April and, you know, sort of all the things that are on the Navy's calendar. I, I just found it to be incongruent. Um, I, you know, that's, I think it's great that the CNO um, is finally willing to talk publicly about the type of Navy that he wants and thinks that the uh, United States needs in the future, but that's a Navy that we'll get in two to three decades. Um, I'm well, kind of more interested in the two decades. Really. I mean, this is, this is the notionally without him backing it up at the time, 
He's, he's saying this is a Navy of 2040. Right. So, um, okay. Uh, two decades. Um, I, I just am, uh, I kind of feel like we've been down this road before. I mean, we have 297 ships today. Um, almost 15 years ago, Admiral Mullen said we needed 313 ships. We've yet to get above 300. Um, and so I, I don't, I just don't know how we get there from here. And so I, I think on the positive side, you would say, okay, well, you lay this gauntlet down and now you start having that conversation about how we get here from there um, or now how we get there from here. Um, I just I, I just haven't seen anything that makes me think that um, they're serious, they being the Navy leadership, they're serious about convincing the folks on the third deck, building the required um, coalition and industry, and then getting Congress on board to say nothing of the White House, who's really shown no inkling one way or the, the other about their uh, desire to grow the Navy, um, given all the things that they're facing here, to say nothing of the crisis in Russia that you mentioned. So um, again, I think the way I viewed it was incongruent. Um, I hope I'm wrong. I hope uh, that this is uh, you, you know, a calculated plan on the part of the CNO to build that coalition and build that support. Um, but I, I think for me, I'm more worried about the things that I heard and didn't hear from um, the leadership at West and the things that I have heard and haven't heard over the last couple months. I mean, you know, the messaging that I heard from the TICOMs and the fleet commanders, it's kind of the same thing of the, of the last decade. Hey, everything is, everything's fine on deployment. Our deployments are going great. When our ships get out there, they're getting it done. But, you know, if we just had more budget predictability, if we just had could get ships out on time or get airplanes out on time, um, and we had more money, um, you know, and had more predictable money, everything would be fine. Um, if you ask the Marines, they've got it all figured out. They just need money uh, in space to, to operate. Um, and the enabling technologies can't get there any quicker. I mean, we, we, we heard a lot of that because this conference, probably more than the others, includes the enabling technologies of cyber and information warfare, you know, because of the AFSIA angle. Um, it, it's just, I kind of felt like it was more of the same. And I didn't hear, I didn't hear the urgency. I didn't hear the aha moment um, that I've been waiting for. I didn't expect to hear it, but it, you right. know, was still disappointed nonetheless that I have yet to hear it. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, again, that that's not what you usually get out of these things. It, there, there is no aha moment. But um, you know, they're they're also, but it's also for, it's for networking, it's for just meeting up with a lot of people and, and a lot of talk. Um, there were some things that I picked up that. Um, I thought are pretty interesting. My sense of the Navy's support for LCS, littoral combat ship. Um, the tide is, is I, hate, I hate to tell people who hate LCS, but the, the tide is turning on LCS. And, you know, the popular, it's like, oh, all the kids, all, all the cool kids say trash it. You can't even talk about it in most circles because as soon as you mention LCS, you know, people who think they're quite intelligent start popping up with, they never should have done it. That's the dumbest thing they ever did. I said, I can't believe it. They should throw them all away. And this is stuff. It's like, well, you know, it's 20 years old. This, this program has been around for 20 years. Um, and the question really with a lot of things is not, if, it, if, if, if at first you don't succeed, keep trying again. But throwing it away because it doesn't succeed is probably a failing strategy. 
And there is a decent amount of adaptability going on in the Navy that they sometimes they talk about a little too much. Maybe sometimes they don't talk about it at all. Um, the expeditionary sea base ships, the ESBs, is probably a good example of they're not using those in the way they first intended them to. They wanted a lot of Marine buy-in to those ships, the U.S. Marine Corps. Uh, the Marines are sort of hot and cold on them, and that's not a big platform for them at the moment. But we're still building them. Um, they're, they're commissioned ships now, as opposed to being um, uh, civilian manned ships. And they are quite active. And they're, I mean, one was the, the, the one in the Pacific was the, the Miguel Keith, based in Saipan, uh, was, was a flagship for a major exercise. They just ran Noble Fusion um, in the Western Pacific. That's different. Um, they're still building them. They're, people are actually excited about them from a tactical point of view. What, we, what can we do with these ESBs, which are converted? It's, it's, it's a basically a tanker design. 95,000 ton displacement, great big fat fellows. And um, right, I mean, and, and people are seeing that as, as great platforms for unmanned systems of all kinds unmanned air, unmanned surface, unmanned under, underwater things, in addition to the other things that they're doing. That's adaptability. That, 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 that's pretty good. The LCSs haven't turned out the way they were supposed to do. They were never supposed to be independent operators. They were always supposed to have these mission packages and be able to swap them out and operate in groups. There's been three out in Westpac the last, uh, for the last six, eight months, essentially operating as independent deployers. As far as I can tell, Westpac is pretty darn happy with them. They're about to, to deploy a freedom class to uh, fifth and sixth fleet to the Mediterranean and to the Bahrain. Um, they're not that excited about getting rid of them. And we've all heard the, the um, forecasts coming out of the budget deliberations. And, you know, be aware that when there are budget deliberations, people put there, there are all kinds of constructs that are on the table. It's extremely dangerous. You know, I got hold of a plan. Um, you know, in August, here's, here's, here's what the new budget plan is. And people report like, this is what they're doing. There might, there may be nine plans. You may have one of 15 plans and the plan you hold may be already have been passed over. It's really difficult to figure out what they're going to do in the upcoming budget. But we've, we've heard that uh, they want to get rid of some of the LCSs. They want to get rid of half the freedom class, all the freedom class, all of the LCSs altogether. And yet, I think the Navy is, aside from the first four ships, two already gone, two are about to be gone. Um, I think the Navy would rather keep them, especially now that the fix is in with the um, combining gear issues or reliability issues on the Freedom class. And when I asked- I think the, yeah, I think the Pacific Navy would like to keep them. Um, for, when, for when, sure. when I asked LCO, he, yeah. he was asked, we talked to him afterwards, and, you know, he said 50 frigates. Is that 50 FFG 62 is the new constellation class? It's an, that's a that's a mix of frigates and LCSs. Right. Um, now, what what is that mix? I have no idea, and he doesn't want to say, and I don't think they're committed to anything. But um, there are. It's the kind of I mean, it, it's good to to talk to folks, hear people, the way they discuss these things, offline. Um, this is tough, and you've got an OSD. Um, and CAPE and a Deputy Secretary of Defense and people in the administration who have their own ideas about what they're trying to do and they're trying to tell the Navy what to do and here's the Navy you need 
And it's, it's all a big game inside the building and inside the beltway. And my sense is that when, when the CNO throw, threw this out, 500 ships, 12 carriers, which by the way is one over the current legal requirement, um, that might mean that he's thinking of keeping a couple of them even longer. Um, those, are, those are big numbers. And he's kind of, he may be, you know, reminding people of where he, where the Navy itself would like to be going, not this shrinking uh, fleet. He also, he, he bristled at the, the vest to invest line, which has got, re, you know, we want to, we want to get rid of all these horrible legacy ships so we can concentrate on buying new things, which at least I think is ridiculous, incredibly stupid, and just a, uh, not not a strategy that uh, anybody should ever get behind um and i'm by no means alone this is this has gained in traction like a lot of people on the hill this is not what they want to hear and i think he's walking a lot of that back right now yeah chris i'm, I'm just not sure what uh cno gilday believes um yeah, yeah. Be, because he's kind of been all over the place i mean there have been examples of really good really strong full-throated uh navalist uh, messaging from the CNO and there has been, uh, you know, budget mumbo jumbo. And then there are times where he just hasn't really shown up at all. So I, I, I don't know. Um, I'm, I mean, I'm hopeful that, uh, that this is where his head is and that, you know, he has a plan and that he'll take that plan and, and gain support from the third deck and from the Congress, and then, you know, take something that's credible to industry so that they can begin to, right. to get to work. Um, as I've said before, I, I'll take 310 ships um, in, in you know the next five years and be really happy. Um, I, you know, I, I would like to see a 30-year shipbuilding plan that comes over with the budget that has a strong you know fit-up plan over the next yes. you know the next five years that yes. that really is credible that people can really bank on um, and that has something that's pretty good for the next five years after that. That that to me is I think more important. Um, or as important as laying out these long-term goals. It, it, it is. I mean, and co Congress has had it with the, the absence of a plan. Um, the last administration didn't really change anything until they left and threw out a great big plan, which is almost the same numbers as CNO's quoting, but they threw it out, you know, two weeks before they left the building, they were clearing out their desk. So it wasn't rolled out. There was no presentation. There was no analysis. It was just, here's a plan. Bye. Thanks for that. Um, so they, they, they really didn't do anything to, to build up anything. Um, the current administration has not put out anything. There's no fit up. There's no, there's not even a five-year plan at the moment, five, you know, this year and the next five. Um, there is no plan. And, you know, Congress, uh, Congress will go with this for, for a while, but at some point it's like, okay, dudes, you know, just give us something. And that's really where they are now. And if they don't, if they don't put a plan out or if they put the budget out again, which the plan is supposed to come with the budget through 30 year plan. That's the, that, that is the requirement. Um, it's actually a title 10 requirement, I think. And yeah, um, it's due with the budget, not, Oh, we're not ready yet. Or we're still reviewing it. Or we're still going around. Well, screw you do your job. I mean it. You guys get paid to do this stuff, do your job. I'm tired of excuses and whiny. Well, we're still looking at this. I, I, I really don't care. And, you know, we, we had a long talk with people out there again about the, the Washington Mary go around. 
there's always another study coming. There's always another plan coming. There's always an, it's, it's a constant rotation. It's a merry-go-round. It goes around and around and around. And the dodge about, well, we have to wait for this force structure assessment or now we're waiting for the, okay. You know, today is today. Where are we today? And people need to start doing that and people need to stop respecting these excuses that just delay and put off um, and just, you know, belay these things. It's like, come on, people, just, just, just put it out there. So yeah, we need, we need a 30 year plan. It needs to come with the budget now. Um, and on the other hand, you know, you have these numbers and everybody goes, where's the money? Where's the money? We don't have any money. Well, if you don't have a plan, you need, if you don't have a goal, I know you you know, you make a face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But <laughs> if you don't have a goal, you can't get the money. Nobody says, Hey, I got you guys a lot more money. What do you think you want to do with it? I mean, that just doesn't happen. Um, you got to have a plan. You got to have a goal. And I think right now, and, and given world events and where things are headed, which are extremely disquieting, um, this is the time to start asking for a whole lot more if you're going to. And if you're not, if you if if you're not going to do it now, <laughs> but I you've mean, got to do it in a way. And th there was a lot of discussion of this at, at um, yeah. West. You got to do it in a way that people understand. And I'm not talking about, you know, the heartland or the American people, because we know that that's not really who this messaging per se is addressed at. But it's got to be something that the other services can get behind. It's got to be something that the third deck can get behind Congress. Um, and I just don't know that they're there yet in terms of how they've crafted their narratives and their narrative as an indicator of where their thinking right. and planning is. Right. I don't either. Um, but I, I think um, you got to start somewhere. And I'm not even sure. I mean, there, there, there are clearly fractures and divisions inside the building, inside the Pentagon, inside the administration, inside the, inside the sea services. Um, I'm not so sure that Commandant Berger would have signed on with um, CNO Gilday's pretty pretty hefty depiction of an amphibious force. Nine yeah, the <laughs> the Kumbaya meter seems to be going in the other direction. No, definitely, uh, <laughs> at least in their public statements. Um, I mean, that kind of you know nine big now. Understand um, Huntington Ingalls Industries in Pasigula builds all the Navy's big amphibious ships. If they if they build this, you know, light amphibious warfare ship, that's a whole nother puppy there. But for all the LPDs, all the LHDs, all the LHAs, the assault ships, um, that's they're the only yard that, that that is building those. And when they hear, you know, Berger says we don't want to build these things anymore, they're going like, oh crap. Um, and so this is music to HII's ears for sure. Um, but I'm not sure it was music to the commandant's ears. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know who knows where all this stuff goes, but see, this is what makes it fun. We can talk about this stuff, right? It does. I guess it does make it fun. <laughs> maybe, oh. maybe. Oh, oh, all right. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Yeah. Well, that's time for Squawk Box. And Mr. Cervello has some thoughts about the Navy's public messaging. Thanks, Chris. As I mentioned in the last segment, my assessment of what I heard and read over the last three days was kind of meh. I listened to naval leaders in San Diego deliver the same canned remarks we've heard for years, relying on the same milk toast approach of their predecessors, 
It's not even obvious who they're talking to or what they want in return. Everything's fine except for the budget or Hail Mary force structure assessments that may or may not deliver in two to three decades just ain't going to do it in today's environment. Rhetoric alone will not move the needle, but it is an indicator of the thinking and the effort behind the scenes. And after what I heard at West, I'm worried. This group of naval leaders and really the service as a whole has a credibility problem. People don't believe what they say. They don't trust that they will follow through on what they propose. Until that changes, these conferences, the public speeches, and positive self-talk we hear from Navy leaders are a waste of our collective time. At least that's my view. The Navy needs an approach both in public and behind the scenes that matches the seriousness of the environment we live in. Without it, they are wasting money and oxygen, and more importantly, risking lives. Okay, and sadly, we're just uh, a whole lot more serious at the moment than we usually are. Well, folks, that does it for this week. As always, our thanks go out to Vaga Moradian and the Defense and Aerospace Group for their support. Be sure to follow us at Cavus Ships on Twitter. And remember, this podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, and Spotify. I'm Chris Cervello. And I'm Chris Cavus. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.